When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, that's pretty good. The Raptors defeat the somewhat shorthanded Cavs, but still possessing Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen Cavs, 124-121. to 121. Uh, They are now 1-0 on the season, based on reports I've heard that the season starts new. Ha ha ha, very funny. Big win, all things considered. I don't even think everything broke right for them in this game. I think that there was a lot of stuff that is very easy for them to improve upon. And I think a lot of the stuff, a lot of the inherent advantages that come with how they kind of reshuffled the deck to make this team up look different, behave different, and you know win a little bit differently. This was a good game. Lots of fun stuff happened. Beating the Cavs. Um, it's always going to be difficult when you have guys like Karis LeVert going for 31. Donovan Mitchell at 26 comes in a little bit below what his you know, below his expectations, I think. And the Raptors, they try out quite a few different things like these combo, like these two guard lineups. They try, you know, obviously a bunch of different stuff with quickly in the spread pick and roll. They try a bunch of stuff with Pascal in motion. Scotty, you know, my friend Bruno Passos, he he covers the San Antonio Spurs. And he said that that rebound that Scotty grabbed towards the end of the game was like a rebound you'd see in a basketball anime. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Uh, Pascal, obviously the North Star of this game, 36 points, two assists. Could have been more if he wasn't responsible for like half of the Raptors made threes in this game, going five for eight, five boards. It only took him 20 shots to get 36 points. Scotty, not his most efficient game, but he gives you 26 and five with a steal and a block. Um, RJ Barrett, the five turnovers, ugly. We can talk about some of the, you know, decision making that wasn't that good in this game, especially five turnovers, one assist. But 19-9, and took 12 shots to get there? That's pretty good. Jakob, I thought, had a really good game. He started off the game super impressively on defense. And Emmanuel quickly, I think, actually underperformed this game a lot. But I think that a lot of the reads are based on familiarity. He was killing his dribble a little bit too often. He wasn't able to get downhill. And that kind of stuff will progress as he goes forward. He is the hardest player to like immediately start fitting in, right? Because he's the starting point guard now. And it's hard to like acclimate to what everyone wants to do. RJ, super easy for him, right? He he's mostly just trying to fit in and like transition. You could see in some of the the lineups without Pascal there that when the offense would kind of bog down and they needed to go to something, RJ was like, I'll try and muscle to the rim. I'll see what I can get there. And it worked quite often. Not to mention he hit the, you know, the two free throws to kind of not ice the game necessarily, but two clutch free throws. Fantastic. Um, Pascal, yeah, 65% from the field, 62% from three, 83% from the line. He was everything in this game. Uh, defensively, lots of stuff to clean up. 
Gary Trent Jr. went one for five from three, but I think that his process in this game was a lot better. He was all over the court. The shot making should catch up. Dennis Schroeder, uh, a couple decisions late that I didn't really like in this game, but for the most part, getting 12 and eight plus 12, stepping in off the bench, he still paid 29 minutes. He still played more than quickly, which I don't think will be the case in all these games going forward. But it's, it's suffice to say the Raptors have a very strong top seven. That probably wasn't the case prior to this game, right? And having a very strong top seven is a really good way to win games in the regular season. And we'll see how these things, you know, stretch out over time, how things kind of, you know, how they progress. But it's it's not the full Cavs, you know. Darius Garland isn't there, who killed the Raptors last time. Evan Mobley isn't there, who is always passively providing a bunch of positive impact. And, you know, shame on the... <laughs> Shame on the Raptors for letting um, Merrill and um, George Niang kind of get their games off as well. But them's the breaks, man. Richard Pilsky says, contrary to popular belief, Pascal Siakam is good at basketball. Yeah, I would uh, venture to say very good at basketball. He was nuts in this game, man. Uh, the shot making down the stretch was pretty clinical. A couple shots he took in the game, like in the flow three-pointers, I would have liked to see him kind of turn it downhill. But in a game where you go five of eight, let him fly. If you're feeling it, you're feeling it. He hasn't been feeling it in many games so far this season. So let it ride, brother. Um, but I was really, really impressed with the way he was able to attack in motion. That was uh, maybe my favorite thing about this game. That's that's one of the biggest motivators of the Raptors' change going forward is that you hope Emmanuel quickly will be able to inject a little bit more pace into what the Raptors do, and it's because if – you know, if Dennis Schroeder, despite being a very quick guard, he he moves through these sets pretty slowly. Um, Scotty and Pascal both move through sets really slowly and quickly. You know, he's supposed to be so portable. He's supposed to be able to kind of plug in and off in on on ball possessions and in on off ball possessions, you know, on a whim whenever he wants. You can kind of switch and make a lot of these proactive reads when you're switching what you want to run as far as like your primary action. Um, Vinay says defense has no teeth at the point of attack. Pirtle is not that kind of anchor. Um, hopefully the, the teeth, they get sharper and do so with Emmanuel quickly, who has had a lot of success as a point of attack defender on the Knicks. Now that is also, you know, kind of the Knicks, they provide their point of attack guys with a lot of help. Um, they're very aggressive at the nail. They rotate hard. The Raptors have to get a little bit more into that as a defense. They were for a portion of this game. And I thought also that Pirtle was very, very strong defensively. Maybe not at the end of the game, but a lot of the shots that were made at the end of the game, if everyone's being honest with themselves, it's a lot of jump shots. A lot, like every once in a while a guy turns it downhill. Yes, that's going to happen. You lose somebody in transition, sure. But as far as the defense, I think that they were able to funnel guys where they wanted to for most of the game. Sometimes it was that a guy was a little bit too quick and the help had to come too far over and there's maybe a lay down available. But I think that Pirtle had a pretty good game, pretty strong. Um, I know that Jared Allen, like, I don't think Jared Allen enjoyed himself a ton tonight. It was a good game for Allen, but I, uh, I was pretty impressed, pretty impressed with Jakob in this game. Um, the core coverage I think was really good. And as far as, you know, setting the edge in the pick and roll, the Raptors definitely found a really good mix of like ball pressure on Donovan Mitchell, different coverages. Like we saw a hedge, we saw a drop, 
we saw switch, we saw switch to blitz, we saw a couple different things. And that's all with a team that has two, like 40% of their starters are new guys. And this is a team that you could tell early on, there was quite a few miscommunications, even late in the game, miscommunications and guarding some of the two man and three man actions. This kind of stuff should be cleaned up over time. And you would hope, and I guess we'll see how that goes, but to keep it positive, um, to go back to Pascal playing like in the pace of the game, it, it's obviously going to make it a lot easier if you're pulling from three and hitting them because a lot of NBA offense is kind of the way that you collapse and spray the ball out is meant to reward teams that hit threes. You know, teams are going to collapse into the paint because you want to take away all the all the healthy happy layups that everybody wants and then pascal not having to turn down stuff just being like okay there's a three here i'm gonna take it in the flow a couple of them he just like put it up and hit as well but that's a big deal for his offense he's not a great three-point shooter he's not even a good three-point shooter but he's better than he has been this season if that makes sense and Kind of getting back up closer to like that 30% is is really important for his game. And then additionally, I think that he had a really great sense of where Jared Allen was in the paint, where the help was, right? We saw a couple times. We've seen in past Cavs-Raptors games where if it's Pascal playing against Jared Allen or Pascal against a number of different guys, if he gets the matchup he wants in a post-up and he spins off, you see when he's going up with that right hand, the, the weak side rim defender He'll sprint over, he'll time up the jump, and he it'll be close to a goal 10 because Pascal will put a lot of lob on it or, or he'll try and get it to the glass. But these guys are like pinning it sometimes. And I think he has, or in this game, he did a really great job of you know noticing where Jared Allen is. Something that LeBron James talked about before a lot of other players was that he times up and counts where the other team is in regards to their three second violations and will time his drives according to that. Um, Pascal has said as much, and a lot of players have come out to say that recently. It's an important thing to to take account of. And I think there was a couple where Pascal was able to spin comfortably to the rim, get there and finish without that secondary help because he's really paying attention to what Allen is doing in the secondary. This is all, this is Pascal's star stuff, all-star, all-NBA stuff is that you pay attention to your primary, yes, but you're also always, um, you know, knowledgeable about what the second level or the third level of the defense are doing to shade to you. And I thought he was masterful in this game, paying attention to that early on in the game, sticking that 18 foot jumper right in Allen's face. That was great. The fader that he hit over Donovan Mitchell late was great. And he had quite a few like release valve possessions where the Raptors, they were really, really struggling to get offense and he kind of just stepped into it found a shot or collapsed the defense as far as as far as like the shot making around siakam in this game it wasn't that great like the raptors a lot of their best looks outside of siakam came in transition um a couple good ones were like you know rj kind of grinding his way to the basket Scotty is, of course going to find a couple things at the very least throughout the game and including a very similar play left hand live dribble that layup he made late like big swooping finish right like that was a fantastic finish and a two-foot gather on that one which is different than what it was in games past right had a chance hit that layup win the game gathered a little bit early tonight he used that extra dribble paid attention to what the scout was on him in the past changed it and made a really great read 
as a dribble drive guy, getting all the way to the rim, finishing over Allen. That's what you want to see from your young star. It wasn't his game. Uh, this is a game that like you really, with Allen at the rim, and Scotty, he has been the Raptors' best three-point shooter this season. He wasn't in this game, so his counter wasn't as easy in this game. He wasn't able to look at the Cavs' defense and say, I know what I'm doing. I'm taking those threes in the flow. That's easy. He, he goes one for five tonight. It's not as simple for him. So you probably, if you want a bunch of possessions, if you want to make it work in this game, you have to pick your spots in pseudo-transition. You have to pick your spots in transition, and you have to bludgeon the rim if you can. And then on top of that, you can go to the mid-range if you want. He hit the one like pick-and-pop mid-range jumper. He had you know the contested... Uh, hook shot which he's always been fantastic at it's a great way for him to supply himself with his own offense off of his own creation but he was kind of in fits and starts trying to find his way into advantageous positions in this game and so was Emmanuel quickly who we can talk about quickly I think started off the game really well it's like a sexy little basketball play every guard who's ever been on the baseline you know when they try and ice that pick and roll like that side pick and roll and you're like, okay, if you're going to send me on the baseline, I'm going to take it. And you kind of like, you bump, you shiver and you wiggle and you get down there and just like the little floater. That was a really nice play from him. And the two threes he hit, you know, great, great spot up, great sense. He's lifting to the right spot to support Scotty's action on the strong side. That's the appeal, right? That's the off ball appeal of Emmanuel quickly. The things that didn't work is that quickly is not like an elite finisher at the rim he's a small guard still he's not super small he has wingspan he's six foot three he's not you know as small as some of the uh as some of the the guards that the raptors have been using uh or playing or whatever but as far as how he's able to impact the game he he is a little bit longer but still not big and still not the most bursty he doesn't play above the rim or anything there's a lot of craft necessary for his finishes at the rim and while he's quick he's fast um teams are still going to play him to like they're going to contest hard at the rim he has to make tough shots in this game he was not the tough shot maker not really you know five of 13 he'll be better than that but he is going to be like for the most part below 45 percent from the field He's not going to blow your mind with his efficiency, but what he is supposed to do is immediately be a good two-man action guy with Scotty and Jakob. Had a great pocket pass early on to Jakob, and then Scotty was in the corner. We see this is a cool progression, right? Because Jakob doesn't get the tag from Akoro. Akoro stunts to Jakob because Scotty has, after the start of the season, more shooting gravity. He's able to drag that guy, so he doesn't want to tag because people have tagged off of Scotty in the past. And as far as um, as far as what they want to be able to do, as far as dissuading the role, it's really important to be able to tag. You want to be able to blow that stuff up. And if there's a good shooter, as far as what the Raptors are trying to do in the corner, you can kind of dissuade people from tagging. And you can open up threes. If they do tag, those are threes you can hit. And in this game, they opened up like a little run straight to the rim. And Jakob did a fantastic job of just like banging it home. He, he had a lot of really nice finishes in this game, to be quite honest with you. And Jakob is not the most powerful finisher, but he's always, always been able to provide like a ton of finesse, right? He's always been able to bring that. And um, as far as like what the Raptors need to do with their point of attack stuff, 
we'll see what happens with Quickly and Pascal and RJ and Scotty. And I think Scotty is going to be the guy who ends up with the highest usage. He has been over the past however long. This was Pascal's game. Pascal had the counters in this game that Scotty didn't. But there's going to be games where it's not going to be so many counters for Scotty, but just Scotty kind of being like a dominant, hell yeah type of player. And as far as like what the Raptors are, are trying to do, we'll see. Um, I saw some people mentioning like Phoenix Plays E says, I think you're underselling IQ as a finisher. So just like what cleaning the glass has him at is like, so he was 56%. 62%, 67% this year. So within four feet of the basket is how cleaning the glass designates it. He's at 57%, um, which is the 28th percentile for a combo guard. And, you know, in the short mid range, that's the floater stuff. He's always been quite good. He's been 50 and 51% the past two years. So um, the numbers can always be a little bit, you know, I know I think basketball reference does it within three feet I like cleaning the glasses de designation of four feet way more, especially since they measure it based on where you leap from. Um, within three feet is like nothing. You can attempt a layup and have it, you know, be under the the guise of like a, a short mid range if you jump from far enough away, which quickly did on a couple of these fading scooping layups, for example. Um, Dog2233 says Pascal always has the most usage. I think he's at like 25 and Scotty's at like 24 this season. Um, that'll be a little bit different after this game, but they've been quite close, actually. And as far as like touches, um, Scotty has had a lot more touches than Pascal this year. But Pascal obviously is a used more as a scoring wing, whereas Scotty is used as more of a connective player a little bit more often. So the the touches aren't exactly a great proxy to figure out um, what they're doing. Phoenix Plays E asks or says, I didn't see much Scotty in IQ DHOs. You expect more of that going forward? I hope so, man. I uh, I really hope so. Uh, there was, I think Lewis had that stat from last season where among the high usage two, like two-man actions with the dribble handoff, Gary and Scotty were the sixth most efficient last season. And if you can find that type of efficiency with Gary and Scotty, I think that says that you're obviously, or you should be able to be able to mine that play for way more with quickly and scotty and then just to touch on quickly like he overextended himself as a driver a little bit some of the the touch shots that he normally hits didn't drop for him tonight they will going forward at a higher rate not all of them but at a higher rate than they did and then as far as like his decision at his decisions as a pick and roll player and as a point guard i think that he picked up his dribble a lot more often above the break than he should have he was killing plays but that's also that's familiarity, right? This is, you know, a fan. He's a great player who has talked about how coming to Toronto, he wants to stretch his legs as a playmaker a little bit more often. But he's also a guy who played in, you know, when we talk about that Knicks offense, it's a lot of ISO. It's a lot of like, go get me a bucket. That's what Randall does. That's what Brunson does. That's what quickly does. And those guys all did it quite successfully. And they're looking for spacers to make it easier for those guys because they're not moving away from that style. That's why OG plugged in so easily into the Knicks and had an awesome game tonight um, or in the afternoon. And geez, his defense looked a lot better. But as far as like quickly, I think because the, the Raptors want to go through this like continuous motion, continuous screening offense, it's important 
that quickly be a little bit more decisive going downhill and also keep your dribble alive so that the continuous motion can keep going so that you find something. And he killed a lot of actions early and he won't do that forever. I think that's just an unfamiliarity with the scheme. And I'm very, very high on quickly. I think that he is the most dynamic three-point shooter that the Raptors have had since uh, it would have to be Lowry in like 18-19 or 17-18. He's certainly, I think, more dynamic than Fred. Uh, just be, He's quicker, and I think that he has a, a wider range of different moves to get to his pull-up, and I think he'll be able to kind of manipulate the screen coverage more often. But in this game, like they were able to throw hedges at him, kill his dribble, get, you, you know, We've seen it a million times. You come around the corner, and then you you get the hedge, you pound dribble into the gather, and you say, like, okay, what am I going to do? You pivot, you try and go above the break the other way. It's not really the best thing. You want to, like, take the hedge in stride, go between the legs, come back the other way, see if your roller's rolling into space, and make, like, a, a pass there. Or if they're, like, tagging that, if you can make the skip, that's typically... That's like the best players, the best passers in the league. That's a Scotty Barnes pass, right? Um, that kind of stuff I'd love to see from quickly going forward. Also kind of interesting. I know it didn't end up good uh, later on in the game, but RJ Barrett had two really impressive skip passes. I know there's like skip passes, I think are a little bit overrated at this point in time, but you still have to be able to make them because it used to be that like, if you saw a prospect or a young guy make a skip pass, then you're like, oh, this guy's an elite passer. It was like that kind of thing. Like they could break the defense by making a good skip. Now defenses have been able to, especially the way they use the weak side zone to account for that. And they, they're really clever as far as like court coverage and Xing out to recover, to skip passes, all that kind of stuff. But if you want to be able to make reads all over the floor, it has to be in your game. And Barrett had a couple. He also bungled a couple. Like he had a bunch of turnovers in this one. And that a four on one or a four on two in transition late in the game where he just, he lost, like he tried to make the skip to the corner and he wasn't able to do it. There were a couple in the half court they had, a, he had trouble with. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the playmaking chops look like going forward. I am, I think higher on Barrett than consensus, especially when you look at him compared to actually I'll just answer this question from Phoenix plays E do I think RJ's turnovers were a result of process or not being familiar with our spacing the ones in transition I think is just like transition spacing is pretty inherent you know you learn it from when you're like a little kid I don't know you know some people call it Russian five ball is the one drill you run where you're like filling lanes and it's supposed to be quite intuitive but as far as RJ I don't think it was unfamiliarity I think that there was a couple from Pascal, Scotty, and quickly, as far as like, actually, I don't think quickly had a turnover in this game, but Pascal and Scotty, when they're trying to get a sense of where their shooters are moving to, and quickly and Barrett aren't necessarily making those moves to the same spot that they expect. Like Malachi, for all the play, all the things that he isn't, um, Pascal has a really great understanding. If he gets the dig from the wing, he knows where Malachi is going to shade to or lift to. Um, quickly, and Pascal weren't really on the same page on a couple. Um, RJ and Quickly weren't really on the same page on a couple, and Donovan got to cheat to the one, and then they ran out, and um, uh, George Niang was able to get that layup in transition, you know, maybe like six minutes or five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So there's those kind of reads that are affected by, you know, the familiarity. But also I think RJ, 
just didn't have a really like there were guys spying him you know like on the weak side there's a hawk who's saying like if rj tries to get frisky with this i'm gonna jump him and he got jumped and he had a bunch of turnovers and i thought just to get it back to the positive aspect of rj's game in this game and you know maybe i'll just go to the tweet i wrote about it but the cool thing about rj is that like he doesn't have to be the full expectation of number three overall pick to be you know a big success for this raptors team like it's he has less creation expectation he can take more shots in transition or pseudo transition like the one where he got straight to the rim the lefty finger roll where he bowled karis lavert under the basket that while there's a bunch of things that gary can do as a shot creator with a jump shot there's just like that scotty's the only other player on the roster who can do what rj did there right and then also, like, if he misses while he's rumbling to the basket, he has that second jump to go up there, contest in air or contend in air and get like a, a putback. Right. And so he's and he has like a, a pretty good sense as a cutter. I find I guess we'll see what we'll see what happens, obviously. But I RJ has a lot of stuff he can do, especially relative to what the Raptors were getting off their bench for a long time. These are new skills. And. It's not like with Precious or Malachi, you know, OG is obviously a huge loss in a number of ways, but as far as like Precious and Malachi and you're playing, you know, Gary and RJ in those spots instead, you're just going to get way more shot creation and it can still be less than RJ was expected to create with the Knicks and RJ can be expected to like take easier shots, easier looks, his three point shots in this game in the flow. He hit one good. He iced the game. Well, not iced the game. I already said that, but he hit two clutch free throws. He was able to get to the line a few times this game. Okay. He's able to bowl guys over in the lane. They can go to pinch post stuff for him if he has a mismatch. There's like a bunch of stuff there that you can work for. And as I've said before, coaches don't look at players and think, what can't he do? They think, what can this player do? How do I design the offense to get the most out of him? How do I put these players in positions to succeed? That is Darko's job. Not to look at what the team can't do, but what they can and how to accentuate those skills. And RJ is in a pretty strong position to have his skills accentuated on this roster. I like that a lot. Um, big, not like a huge RJ fan, but higher than him on consensus. I think there's a lot of room for him to like find his legs here. And he just has to be, you know, like... He can be an okay starter immediately. He he can get to like a good starter. And a good starter is fantastic if you're getting that return for OG. And if you think quickly is a guard of any consequence, you can look at like the team control on these contracts. You can look at the how you reshuffle the lineup to hopefully looking better as far as like the overall balance of it, where it's shot making, ball handling. It's more intuitive for them to play a certain level, the certain style of basketball that they want to. And if you're someone like me who thinks that quickly can elevate, despite not being like the best driver, despite not being the most impressive playmaker, can elevate to a higher level initiation guard with his shot making right like that jump shot can really help elevate and move defenses around i think that there's room for the raptors to come out of this trade looking really impressive and you know phoenix plays he says yes pick 31 as well if the pistons are are the worst um mugarbe lennon says yes scotty and pascal have some help it looked that way in this game it's uh like pascal was obviously 
he was the moon and the stars. He was the sun. He was everything. Um, and he did it efficiently. He did it without like taking over the offense to a crazy degree. I was pretty surprised. Like he didn't get a single look down the stretch. I think that was wrong. Um, like I, I do think that the Raptors got a little bit crazy as far as their offensive decision-making down the stretch. But uh, as far as like Pascal 36 in the full of the offense, I think he found like a really good way to do it. And Scotty, not his most efficient game, not his biggest scoring game, but like just grinding and finding his way to offense a ton. 20 points, five and six. It's easy, you know? Um, Thousand Eyes 85 says, speaking of tunnel vision, this dude doesn't interact with this chat at all. Let me throw on the glasses to look a bit more often. But the truth is, brother, I've been doing this podcast for years and there wasn't a chat for a long time. There, like the more people listen on the podcast apps. So they miss out on the chat interaction. So I still have to keep it as kind of like a linear thing. David Burke says bald. No way. I'm bald in my Twitter. I'm not, I'm not hat fishing you, brother. I'm bald in the Twitter bio, you know? You just had to go look. Um, Curly, who I suspect is the Curly, my dear friend, says Pascal was so smooth. Nothing forced, found his spots. Ain't that the truth, man. I think that he was just like so fantastic in this game. I was really impressed with him. Um, to speak about like the the bench guards with Gary and Schroeder, I think that Schroeder played within the flow of the offense pretty impressively. Um, there's always going to be, because he can turn it downhill, because he is like a shoot first guard a lot of the time, there's going to be stuff that there's going to be possessions where you look and you go, hmm, I don't know. That's always going to be part of his game. But there's also like a ton of stuff when you look at Schroeder finishing with 12 and 8, only one turnover. He's moving the Raptors through a lot of the possessions that they need to go through. He's moving the ball on to other guys. He's running through a lot of those rope possessions with Jakob. It's like, okay, we got the roll. We got the pocket pass. We got the tag. Make the pass to the corner. The defense is in motion. All this kind of stuff is, you know, these are these are positives. And also, like, Schroeder. Schroeder, I find, has a very, <laughs> except late in games maybe, has a very strong sense of when to get Pascal the ball. And in a game like this where Pascal is cooking, um, I think he did like a, a, a pretty good job until the end of the game where Pascal, I think it was the last four possessions that were played in the half court, Pascal didn't touch it. But at least, at the very least, you got uh, that layup from Scotty, which was awesome. Um, yeah, Steph No, uh, the Steph No of Sporting News says, thought it was interesting that Darko called IQ's number out of that timeout instead of Pascal with two minutes left. Rip DHO, page action for IQ. Yeah. I I don't I don't hate it in a vacuum, right? Because you look at it as like, okay, this is a play, you put a shooter in motion. IQ has been getting when he keeps his dribble alive, he can put it down, get it into the teeth of the defense, and you're comfortable with him there and his shot making there because as we looked at the stats earlier in this, you know, this episode, 51 and 50% in the short mid-range over the past two seasons. There's a ton of volume there. And you're comfortable with his off-the-dribble shot making, right? You're comfortable with IQ doing that. And there's also, like, Malachi Flynn was way more emboldened under Darko. A lot of players were way more emboldened under Darko. And Darko is a guy who, he loves his guards. He might want to, like, embolden him. IQ, to some degree, this is, like, his team, along with Scotty going forward, probably, right? And so he got the look. 
Um, as far as like, would I rather see it with Pascal versus IQ? I don't know. Uh, in these ones, you hope that they're able to, and you also, maybe you don't know that Pascal is the second option and Darko is thinking, well, they're probably going to show a lot of pressure towards IQ. And then we move on to a second look with Pascal and then he can kill there. Or maybe they go to like an empty side pick and roll and there's a switch who knows what they're thinking, but it just ends up that like IQ is a guy who will call his own shot and did. And, you know, Anuji says even IQ's misses look good. A, a few more of those could have fell in tonight, and I wouldn't have been surprised. But uh, Kier Doyle says, what did you make of random Thad two minutes? I, I don't know, man. Uh, I think Thad, probably we don't get Thad minutes once. Um, we don't get Thad minutes once they sign whoever they are getting for the, I guess, the final roster spot i guess we'll see stefano says more important question where's the blazer slash suit jacket i'm so here's the thing i couldn't go to today's game because i just got back into toronto today lewis was at the game tonight and it's fandiar barahaney two dear friends of the show and blake and like all the people i love um but i wasn't able to go to the nice game and then the raptors are on the road forever so the blazer slash emmanuel quickly game will actually end up being like in the middle of january if not like the 20th or something like that. So, yeah. Um, Richard Pilsky says, what did you think of Alvin Williams wearing a purple bow tie? Hell yeah. Purple's a good color. Um, Vinay says, I actually liked Alvin's commentary today. I enjoyed the back and forth between Alvin and Matt because I agreed with Alvin to some degree, but I also agreed with Matt to some degree when, and I talked about this after the game where Scotty put up 15 threes is like, you know, you do in some sense want to see Scotty going downhill more often. But on the other hand, seven out of 15 threes is just insanely good offense. You can't turn your nose up at it. It's really, really good offense. The points per possession there is exactly what you need it to be. Um, but also that, and I've talked about this before too, is that it's really interesting the the difference in how Scotty is a good enough shooter to dictate hard closeouts right now. But teams still might want to make him shoot because the prospect of putting Scotty downhill as far as like fouls, playmaking opportunities, finishing ability, all those different multitudes of things might be more dangerous than his points per possession, even though he is like 38% from downtown. So teams, they might, he might have a different guard than his statistics suggest because the idea of Scotty driving with an advantage into an empty paint, a semi-contested paint, uh, it's 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 tough. So you might even if he is shooting a three well, you might want to have that controlled closeout. You might you might want to be chopping feet, the one hand high, the other hand low, protect the cross. You know from Coach Carter. However you want to frame it, but that's something that we might see happening. Um, I guess yeah. And so they were obviously. Alvin was talking about how Scotty needs to be driving more. And Matt was like, he made seven threes, you know, seven threes is a lot of threes. And so they're, they're both correct in some sense. Um, yeah. Manchild says you guys got two inconsistent players. This is coming from a Nick fan. I, I have to say I'm, it, it would make sense if quickly was a little bit more inconsistent just because of the role he's been a part of for so long. And as far as, um, you know, being like a spark plug scorer off the bench, I think it'll take him time 
to get to where his game wants to be, especially as a decision maker, especially since he will be the guy setting up the offense, you know, whether it's as much as Scotty or like slightly less, he's he's going to be doing it a lot. And he also has to be conscientious of getting guys looks in a way that he hasn't really had to be with the Knicks. So there might be some inconsistency there. And also a guy who is a little bit more reliant on like touch shot making and pull up threes as quickly is, and he's not the best in the league, like maybe, you know, Steph Curry and Tyrese Halliburton who really supply and fuel offenses with those skill sets. It's going to be a little bit more consistent. Yes. And then RJ Barrett, um, I covered him for team Canada at FIBA. I'm yeah. And I think most people who watch Raptors basketball also watched um, team Canada. So they're well aware of like some of the inconsistencies um man child says we needed og for defense talking to another chatter i think og i think that trade was like could definitely come out as a win-win especially if there's a guy we just saw tonight donovan mitchell who didn't have his best game but who is as electric as they come who may end up on the knicks someday and if og is also on that team and they have like randall maybe randall's there maybe isn't if they have randall Brunson, Mitchell, OG, like they're they're in a position to go out and try and win a championship. So OG, if they don't make another, if they don't add anyone else and it's just OG for forever, then the Knicks, they're not making that leap probably. But they put themselves in a position through their front office, they can try to make that leap. So I like that trade for, for both teams. Um, Anu G asked this a couple times. Thoughts on IQ's weak side defense? Thought he was pretty awesome rotationally and boxing out. Yeah, there were a couple things he missed on the weak side, but also you could blame Pascal Siakam for a couple of those. I guess uh, I, I guess he is a guy like with wingspan. He's attentive. He was also back in transition defense. I think his off-ball stuff is mostly pretty impressive. Um, he is one of those guards who kind of like gets it who's really in tune with the the primary action has a good sense of his spacing between man and ball. And when he can kind of get a little bit like, Hmm, am I trying to contain on this play or am I trying to blow something up? And I think he rides that line pretty well. The extra wingspan helps with digs. The extra wingspan helps with like changing passing lanes that are going over top of you and all that kind of stuff. And I'm excited to see quickly because all of the testimonials, are that quickly is a strong defender at the point of attack. All the testimonials are that he is, you know, definitely an above average defender at the guard position. And that was under Thibodeau. Now it's going to be under Darko. I hope that that reputation doesn't go away from him. I hope to see like a bunch of impressive uh, performances going forward. Yeah, but the Raptors, they won this game. Really impressive. Very happy with that. Um, Since we have 400 people in chat, uh, make sure to like the video. It's free. It'll help suggest it to other people, of course. And I guess I'll take like a couple listener questions before we get out of here. One from Ollie Dez says, Pascal playing like he wants to get traded or playing like he wants to stay. This is a funny one. Um, so I'll give everybody the update on the Pascal stuff. Uh, some of this is like uh, stuff I've heard. Some of this was reported by Grange. Some of this was reported by, you know, Mark Stein. Um, Pascal is, as far as like what he wants to do, I think it makes sense from the player's point of view that if the Raptors were going to give him the two-year extension, he would say no, because I can go out if I wait three months and get a four-year extension. And that way he is getting paid till he's 34. 
instead of until he's 32 and having to do the another like prove him contract at 32 right and so that just makes complete sense from his point of view as far as like in the summer when other teams were courting pascal other teams of course they were like talking and you know they don't talk because they can't talk but they do talk and discussions of extensions were had and pascal rebuffed from some teams so he has you know expressed a desire to stay in toronto to and he would have signed with toronto if they had given him that four-year full max extension and he can if i don't think he'll make all nba this year i just really don't um i don't think he'll be in play for a super max or anything like that um but we'll see what happens in free agency unless the Raptors made a trade beforehand. But as far as like Pascal playing to stay or playing to up his trade value, I assure you, he doesn't give a damn about his own trade value. Um, yeah, it's uh, all he does says, I think it makes sense for everyone to move on. Siakam can be legit on another team. Who can we sign in the summer? I can't answer any of those questions because it literally all depends on how the, the cap works out over the next you know, few weeks before the trade deadline. And then also the decisions that the Raptors make, you know, between now and then, which is like a world away. Um, Coco uh, says, did Gary seem like he was re-energized or re-motivated? He seemed more active. He certainly did. They took one of his rebounds away, but he was leading the Raptors in the third quarter. It said he had seven, but he ends up with, uh, with six in this game. Two offensive rebounds. He was whirring around. And also... Top blocking, that's the word. He, he played like a really impressive top block defense on some of the, the actions where the Cavs are trying to free up one of their shooters, like whether it's Struess or Merrill or, or uh, Donovan Mitchell. And top blocking is basically like you sit on top of the action and you try and send the player downhill instead. It's important, obviously, for your big or your wing or whoever you're playing with for them to also be cognizant that you are top blocking so that there's not just a back cut available. Um, a lot of teams top block and have top blocked for years Curry and Thompson and both of those guys have made like an absolute killing on back cutting those actions but the Raptors didn't get killed on one of those and I thought that Gary had like a very strong game as far as like defensive activity even when he's having a strong defensive game for him he's going to make mistakes he's going to gamble at not always opportune times but he hit on some and I think that his compete level in this game was really great um, he made an impact on the glass. And as far as like his process, I thought that this was his strong, one of the stronger games from a process point of view that he's had, you know, in, in quite some time. He shoots three for 10. He goes one for five from downtown. But I think as far as like what he was trying to do, this was a pretty good Gary game that could have ended up being a lot better if he had just shot it the way that, you know, you kind of expect him to shoot. And that feels like about where I'm going to leave this thing. How's that? Pretty crazy that Boucher had no points and one rebound, no shot attempts in 11 minutes and 20 seconds. I guess that speaks to like, you know, where where the league is or where, sorry, not where the league is, where the Raptors are with Barrett gets 19, Pascal gets 36, Jakob 14, Scotty 20, quickly 14, Schroeder 12, Gary Trent Jr. 9. Like there's just not a lot of shots to go around. Boucher is going to have to get his looks off of cuts. He's going to have to like make really great reads lifting as a shooter when he's on for a game. He's going to have to keep making those great baseline reads, especially he and Scotty have been able to link up on so many with that live lefty dribble from Scotty. 
The guy steps up from the corner to meet him. Boucher cuts baseline. You activate that cut. You see the numbers. I don't know what he looks for. There's a couple hallmarks that coaches will teach players. Like you see the numbers, go for it. You see the logo here, you go for it. Um, or just timing cuts based on the structure of the offense. Like a burn cut here, a burn cut every once in a while can result in you know a made a made bucket anyway. But that seems like a podcast. Um, one more reminder. If anybody wants to like the podcast, it helps spread to other people. It's free. I so hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you're not, if you're new to Raptors Republic, go to raptorsrepublic.com. You will find the most in-depth piece on Emmanuel quickly. It was written by Lewis Sassman. It is tremendous. And when I say the most in-depth, it will give you numbers you will love. It will give you film you really, you know, appreciate. And you'll learn about his game and how he fits in with the Raptors. And also, um, Raptors Republic is independent and credentialed and we survive through a subscription base and that is how we do it that is how we pay our writers our podcasters etc without uh being part of the duopoly of uh you know cable or whatever the hell in in canada so uh yeah uh go to raptorsrepublic.com and subscribe if you're into that sort of thing i'm done uh plugging all this kind of stuff fun game fun win uh, thanks to everybody in chat for being insightful, engaging, and uh, kind. You guys are the best for the people listening on their walk or wherever the hell you listen to it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.